Looking for coffee that can finally give you the flavor and experience you've been missing? Then your next coffee order should be from SeaStateCoffee.com. SeaState Coffee is premium, hand-selected, highest-grade available coffee that is roasted on order, delivered fresh to you. And right now, you can take not 10 but 20% off your order by using code GRIND20. That's G-R-I-N-D and the number 20 for 20% off your Sea State Coffee order. Head over to SeaStateCoffee.com so you can enjoy the smoothest and most caffeinated coffee available. Start your day off right with Sea State Coffee. This week on the Route 16 Grind, in our special edition... I interview Libertarian Vice Presidential Candidate Spike Cohen. In the Outdoor Update, I will talk about government cameras being used on private property. And from the field, I share a little bit of my scouting plan for the upcoming deer season. In the Rock Bunna Dirt, I'm going to cover burping Root the Jeep. And then we wrap up the show with a cup of joe. Route 16 Grind, Episode 30. I'm solo! Welcome to the Route 1 Six Grind, the podcast for outdoor adventurers. If you wheel, hunt, fish, overland, or are an all-around adventurer, this podcast is for you. Each week, we pour a cup of sea steak coffee and talk about informative topics, the gear, and the training that can help you have a successful outdoor adventure. We have amazing contributors and some great conversation. So, grab your cup, sit back, and enjoy the show. All right, welcome back to the Route 16 Grind. I'm Brian. I'm your host. I'm so glad to be here. And we got, well, I got some great things coming up on this show Big thing I'm super excited about. Finally, Spike Cohen, the Libertarian vice presidential candidate, was able to essentially sit down virtually with me and we're able to do an interview. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this. Has some open ears. The great thing about Spike is he goes into detail. You're not just getting a banner like, we're going to cut taxes and we're going to do this. And that's all you get. Bunch of chants. You actually get some details. And I ask some very sensitive topic questions. Um, I think you guys will enjoy this. You will definitely come away with some good knowledge. And uh, maybe Spike will go, go, you know, maybe he'll earn your vote. I hope he does. In the outdoor update, yeah, we got some got an interesting story uh, to talk about. Um, I'm not going to read it all to you. I'm going to go into it, kind of highlight, put it in the show notes. And then, uh, yeah, I'm going to go over some things in the field and rock money dirt. So let's get on with the show. We appreciate your posts and feedback. One of the best ways to help out the show is to post a five-star review with your feedback on Stitcher and Apple Podcasts today. This helps us grow the Route 16 Grind audience, and we also get a chance to hear from you. So if you love the show, which we know you do, please consider leaving us a five-star rating on Stitcher and Apple Podcasts today. I definitely got to throw out there, I really appreciate all the five-star ratings and the great ratings we've been getting lately. Um, would love to hear your comments. So I appreciate the, the five-star ratings and, and all that, but I would love to hear from you. And we actually had a one-star rating. You know, if you have something to offer to where we can improve or maybe something didn't like, or maybe there was a little bit of conflict, you know, just leaving a negative one-star I mean, I would love to sit there and have a little bit of dialogue about that. And so we can both come away with something. Maybe you have something to offer to change my opinion on something. I'm fine with that. The better, the way that we get better is we communicate. So even if you got something negative to leave, put some comments on there that we can all like learn from and maybe we can talk about it. We'd love to bring you on the show. Special edition. All right. We got a special interview with Spike Cohen, the Libertarian Canon vice president. This is a great interview, y'all. I hope you enjoy it. 
We're here with Spike Cohen. He is a Libertarian candidate nominee for Vice President of the United States. Spike, welcome to the Route 16 Grind. It's great to be here, Brian. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, I mean, so you guys are really hitting the news outlets right now. I mean, the uh, the bat bite couldn't have happened any. You know, it's pretty exciting that that kind of happened in one way. But first off, is Doctor Joe? You know, is she okay? Everything okay there? Yes, yes, yeah. Joe, Joe is fine. Um, she was just letting people know that uh, because so, at, and and if you're you know you're you do a lot of outdoor stuff, so you may already know this. Um, with uh, whenever there's a suspicion that you may. Uh, that you or, or a possibility that you could, you know, have contracted rabies from, you know, like a wild animal bite or scratch or something like that. Um, you have to get a series of, um, of of rabies injections. It's not just one vaccine. You have to get a series of shots. So she's having to go through that, but she's still attending most of the events that they had planned. Uh, she's a real trooper going through that. Uh, basically, what happened was uh, she was letting out one of her pets and uh, and basically came into contact with a bat isn't sure if she was bitten or scratched, but just out of an abundance of caution, uh, you know, she has been getting the shots, but she's okay. She's feeling well. I actually spoke to her earlier and she is doing, she's doing fine, but I, I, we appreciate it. But um, yeah, she's being a real trooper getting the shots and then going and doing all these events and stuff. Well, I'm just glad she's getting all the press now, because uh, before you know, I would go on and look at news outlets and stuff, and you would see a few of you, a few of her. Now it's like I could do a quick search, and bam, you guys are up there. So I don't know. We might have to oh, go absolutely. shake that bat's hand. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, they say no, 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 uh, no press is bad press. Um, <laughs> right. But, you know, and I mean, again, it's it's, you know, it's a story of how someone is is not letting something, you know, uh, keep her down and, and, uh, how much of a trooper she is, uh, getting the shots and everything else and still doing everything that, you know, doing, a uh, you know, what can sometimes be a, a grueling, uh, bus tour, uh, her and her leg of that tour ends on the 16th. And then I am starting my leg of it on the 19th. Uh, and we are still, uh, finalizing all of the dates and times and exact locations, but it will be starting in the Cincinnati, Ohio area, and then, uh, working its way through, uh, the Midwest and then the Southwest and then going up the Pacific States, uh, ending uh, in uh, the Seattle, Washington area. So I'll be doing that from the 19th until uh, Labor Day, actually. Well, we'll make sure to put that info in the show notes and uh, so people can look at that and we'll absolutely monitor that and let people know. Uh, so kind of like diving into the show here, um, you know, what the pro- the public land private land discussion and the aspect of, you know, outdoor activities, you know, a lot of listeners here, they camp, they fish, they hunt, they Mm off-road and public land is so important uh, for them to have accessibility to. Uh, So probably first question would be, what would a public land environment look in in your administration if you guys are, uh, you know, sitting in the White House uh, come this uh, next year? Well, the short answer to that, Brian, is that uh, public land use would look a lot more, uh, it would be much more accessible and it would also be much better maintained. Um, we just saw with the, and I'm forgetting the name of the fund, but you know, a, the, the, the fund that basically takes care of all of the, all, all the federal parks. Land, of con- wa- land and Water Conservation Fund. Yes, the Land Water Conservation Fund. Um, how it has been poorly funded for uh, you know, decades, really. And, uh, you know, there was stuff that has been just kind of crumbling, uh, not just infrastructure, but buildings and just general maintenance of uh, and, and conservation of the, of the, 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 the property that is the, uh, the these various parks, uh, even though there are, are massive, you know, multi-billion dollar industries that are in there doing everything from, you know, logging to, uh, you know, extraction of minerals and all sorts of other things uh, that are, you know, making money hand over fist. And yet those 
powerful, well-heeled billionaire cronies uh, weren't uh, ever having any, uh, you know, getting any, having to pay for the upkeep of the general land there. It's interesting how they bought and paid for politicians to be in office and then somehow didn't have to pay for the upkeep of the land that they were able to uh, exploit without having to pay for ownership of. Um, and so, uh, and so that's not surprising. Um, this is all what happens when you put the power in the hand of a, of a relative handful of people. When you have centralized power that is so heavily centralized in uh, not just in the federal government, but in this system that has been created by Republicans and Democrats in their over 160 years of exclusive control of every lever of power in government uh, at the federal and state and local level, it leads to all sorts of various harmful and uh, abusive and inequitable outcome that we have come to know and love from the uh, crony friendly, uh, centrally planned and arbitrarily defined policies of the Republicans. And a perfect example of this is the crumbling infrastructure uh, within the, the the public lands and, and uh, you know, the public fisheries and so forth that, um, you know, even though there are, again, very powerful people that are making a fortune in these lands, uh, that the land itself is, is, is often not well kept. Uh, and there have also been uh, bad uh, policies that have led to, um, you know, that have led to wildfires and things like that because of, uh, and I, I remember learning about this in school, that because of bad federal policy that thought that all fires were bad, when the reality is that it is good to have some level of brush fire to help c- kind of keep the, the brush cleared out and for the, for the, the forest to be able to thrive, that that actually led to an, an increasing amount of just debris that was in the forest, which meant that when a fire did happen, that it would then lead to these major wildfires. These were all things that would not happen naturally. They are happening as a result of bad government policy. Uh, and so we believe that, as the founders did, that the federal government really shouldn't be owning uh, all these massive swaths of land. The government shouldn't be the single biggest landowner uh, in the country. The, the government should be owning the property that is on, uh, you know, that, that has federal buildings on it and, and military bases and so forth. But the federal government shouldn't own most of Nevada. Uh, the right. federal government shouldn't own most of entire sections of the country. Um, it, that should be, according to the 10th Amendment, uh, that is best left to the states or preferably to the people. And so a, the short answer, and I don't really give a lot of short answers, but the short answer would be that in a libertarian administration, in a Jorgensen Cohen administration, uh, public land use would be a, a, a lot better and would be a lot less uh, poorly managed by the federal government because we get the federal government out of it. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And, and I don't I like not having short answers because uh, those are prepared and <laughs> they're, they're just really just a little side by. Hey, let's get to the next question kind of stuff. So I love the fact that yeah, you're yeah. giving us the detail here, too. Uh, so let's switch gears to the private land. So I, let's just say I am a private land owner and I have uh, agriculture and just whatever. And I have mm-hmm. 300 acres. I got a pond uh, and I got, you know, game going through there, deer, I got bear, all that now, right now, I have to, you know, get a license to go hunting and I need to get a license to go, you know, harvest the, the deer on my land or the bear that's on my land, et cetera. And I could have good practice. And most hunters are going to have good practice in, in, in the fact that I'm not going to just take out the entire um, group there. But how was how does that look? That's always something that has just sat with me where if I own this land 
and I have, you know, deer coming in, especially if I, I'm a, I'm a farmer and, you know, I need, I want to keep a herd a little bit down cause I don't want to eat all my crops. I mean, how does right. that look? What, what is your stance on that? The government has no business telling you what you can do on your own property, provided that you do not harm the lives or the rights or the property of anyone else. So for example, if you are a farmer and you want to keep uh, uh, deer or feral hogs. I, I know that there's no license for hunting feral hogs, but but uh, but you know deer or or some other what you regard to largely be a pest, at least when it comes to what it's doing to your what your livelihood. Um, that it's none of the government's business. The idea behind um, be, behind you know telling people what they can and cannot do with their land comes from a somewhat of a flawed theory uh, from a, a, an idea called the tragedy of the commons. And, and without going into a whole diatribe about that, the, the, the basics of the tragedy of the commons is that people, if left to their own devices, will eventually over... And, and, and the, the, the example that's given is, you know, if there, were, if there is a, uh, a body of water that uh, produces a certain number of fish uh, per year, uh, as just it's regular, you know, as a result of, of uh, you know, um, of reproduction of fish in that in that in that lake. And if you fish a certain number of fish, it won't affect the overall number of fish there. But that if too many people go to that property uh, and and fish it, that they you'll end up having, you know, that they will they will fish too many fish, and eventually there won't be enough fish, and and you know everyone will starve to death because or they'll have to go to another lake, which they'll also ruin because they destroyed the the you know the the, the natural course of things there. The problem is that it assumes that everyone's an idiot and wouldn't realize that the fish are an issue there, uh, that, that you would have to keep, allow a certain number of fish to live in and be a good conservator of what you have, uh, especially if you privately own it and, uh, or own it in common with others, uh, that you would want to, you know, that, that these people wouldn't want to maintain that in perpetuity, which of course they would because they, they, they know just as well as anyone else uh, that their livelihood would be threatened if they didn't. And then the second part of the fallacy there is to think that some pandering politician or bureaucrat will somehow be able to manage it better, even though they often have absolutely no idea what it is they're doing. They just got hired to do it. And so they create these arbitrarily defined policies that are often handed to them uh, by well-heeled political cronies who have a vested interest in ruining things for everyone else uh, so that they can directly benefit with fewer competitors. So, uh, it, you know, government actually is a tragedy of the commons as policy. And so a perfect example of this is telling you that you can't hunt or fish on your own land without getting paying the government permission in the form of a license uh, in, in being able to do it. If it belongs to you, then no one, not just not not just government, no one has a right to tell you what you can or cannot do on your own property. Again, provided that you are not that your actions are not directly harming the life or the rights or the property of some other person. Right. Yeah, I, I like it. I like it. Okay, we're going to switch gears now. Uh, the uh, And you guys, uh, you constantly hear Dr. Joe talk you, you're, yourself, the drug war. Hey, we're, we're going to end the war on drugs. It's a total failure. I, I 100% agree with you. I'm on board with that. But, you know, with that said... How does your administration handle the drug issue? Well, you know, we, we've gotten rid of all the drug agents. We've gotten rid of all those things. Uh, you know, drugs are legal, et cetera. But obviously, right. there's still an issue. And, and, you know, people will ask you that. And, and they, they would want some of that addressed. And, you know, such as you have users who are going to still commit crimes and to try to support their habits. How, how do you? Of course. How do you work towards, uh, you know, helping that situation? 
Well, first of all, obviously, if someone is, for whatever reason, robbing someone else or threatening someone else or victimizing someone else, whether it's because they have an addiction or just they're a jerk, whatever reason, if they're robbing someone, uh, obviously, that is still a crime. So ending the war on drugs doesn't end the, you know, and, you know, make it legal to, to commit crimes to, to carry out your addiction. And, and, and also to give a little bit of background about me, I am uh, 14 years sober. Uh, I am a recovering drug addict. I, um, I cannot, I don't get intoxicated because it's not something I've been able to demonstrate that I can do uh, in a recreational way. And so I don't. And so I've, I've been sober for 14 years now. And I personally don't really think there are a lot of times that it makes any sense to get intoxicated. So I'm certainly not in favor of, uh, of ending the drug war, nor is uh, Joe uh, in favor of ending the drug war because we think drugs are great and everyone should go out and, and do lots of drugs. Uh, and we do recognize that there are problems like, uh, you know, like abuse and, and addiction and uh, domestic abuse that is it's more likely to happen when people are intoxicated and, uh, you know, overdoses that can lead to deaths and people that are addicted that end up committing crimes or harming themselves and, and, and all sorts of other things or all sorts of problems related to drug use. Uh, and that is a real issue. Um, we see a similar thing that happened in the 19-teens and 1920s, uh, where the temperance movement uh, recognized that uh, alcohol abuse, because alcohol is a drug, that alcohol abuse also led to these types of bad things, that uh, people who were addicted to alcohol were more likely to not be able to keep uh, gainful employment, that they were more likely to have other health issues, that were, they were more likely to uh, be engaged in uh, domestic abuse, uh, that they were more likely to commit suicide, that they were more likely to uh, you know, have, uh, you know, great addiction and, or, or, or to, to have overdoses and, and die from alcohol poisoning. And there was also a, 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 um, a religious morality aspect to why they thought alcohol should be illegal, but they largely leaned into the, you know, the, the reality of what happens when, when, when people uh, have an alcohol problem. And they use that as a reason to make alcohol illegal with the passing of the 18th amendment. They banned the sale uh, the, the production, the, the consumption, the distribution, and the sale uh, of uh, and, 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 and distribution of alcohol. And we saw what happened as a result. Abuse went up. Right. Addiction went up. Uh, spousal abuse went up. Uh, overdoses went up. Crime went way up. Violent crime went way up. Uh, and, and, and the reason why, and the reason why they ended up uh, getting rid of the, the war on alcohol and ending prohibition with the passing of the 21st Amendment uh, is because they found out what happens when you take a market and put it in the black market. You don't get rid of the supply and you don't get rid of the demand. You move it into the shadows so that now, instead of that alcohol or now these drugs being provided by above the board manufacturers and distributors who are operating in a free market out in the open, it's being pr provided by criminal gangs and cartels who have no concern uh, about whether something's legal or not and actually want it to be illegal so that they have a closed market that, that they can provide themselves. And because they don't care what the law is, they also use violent met methods of, 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 of you know, uh, claiming their territory. We saw all the gangland warfare of the 1920s and 30s as a direct result of, the, uh, of, of, of prohibition. Uh, you saw uh, former two-bit thugs like Al Capone become some of the most powerful people uh, in the country. Uh, owning entire cities, uh, Joe Kennedy, who, who's uh, you know is the, the the patriarch of the Kennedy dynasty, made his his fortune on uh, running rum into New England. Yeah. Uh, these are people who became incredibly wealthy and powerful because of a black market 
that was created. And, and the reason that abuse and addiction went up was because people who had these problems were now in the shadows. They couldn't get help because they could get in trouble for trying to get help because what they were doing was against the law. So they couldn't openly say, I have an alcohol problem. I need help. Uh, and they certainly couldn't go to their families and try to get help uh, because it point. was illegal. You could all get in trouble. It was against federal law. We that, see that now with, with, with drugs. We see that the cartels are incredibly powerful. People like El Chapo, some of the richest people on this planet. Uh, we see how they buy off law enforcement and make law enforcement incredibly, uh, increasingly corrupt and unaccountable. We see how it leads to government uh, creating more and more reasons for them to have more and more power, like an increasingly militarized police state and increasingly more and more surveillance uh, without uh, without any kind of warrants or anything else. Things like no-knock raids, things like mandatory minimum uh, uh, sentencing. Uh, things like, uh, you know, things like that, the, the, uh, the fact that the U.S. has more people in prison uh, than any other country on Earth, not just by sheer numbers, but by percentage of the population as well. Um, all of that is because of a failed war on drugs. Ending the war on drugs means allowing us to treat addiction as a health problem which is what it is. Addiction is usually because of psychological trauma, social trauma, chronic pain, chronic health issues, uh, uh, all sorts of myriad of problems uh, that are made worse by the fact that they are socially stigmatized by the fact that they're doing something illegal uh, and cannot get help, and it is illegal to help them. So by removing the black market, you take away the money and the power from the cartels. You take away the money and the power from the, the cronies who created the system uh, in order to not compete with big pharma. You take away the power from these powerful politicians that you know are using it to create this out of control police state. And you put the power back in the hands of the people to be able to help those around them who have addiction. Addiction rates go down. Abuse rates go down. All of the social ills that happen from uh, so many people being addicted to drugs goes down because we can actually begin to heal and help those people who have those problems and treat it like what it is, a health problem. No different than an alcohol addiction or a sex addiction or any other unhealthy lifestyle that can be changed by helping that person and helping the core root of what those problems are. Yeah, that, that's great. Uh, that, man, that's wonderful. Uh, I'm going to have to listen to that again. You, you gave us a lot there, Spike, and I really appreciate that. Now, you did mention, you. you mentioned this, you kind of hit on, and I want to bring it back, the prison system. You know, I, mm -hmm. I personally have a feeling, I'm not a feeling, I have a, a, an opinion that it is literally just a business. I mean, you're creating yeah. laws that feed the system that creates prisons that creates jobs i mean that's why all these little mm -hmm. you know this the, the the power you can kind of see moving around prisons well we got to keep yep. people in there and want to keep that business mm -hmm. running i mean yep. how do you fix that that is a beast how do you fix that and it's even worse it, it, it's everything you said and it's even worse because there's not just money in the building of the prisons and in the hiring of the the people working in the prisons and all of the cottage industries built around the prisons and the contractors and everything else there's also the free prison labor right so there are companies who make so much money contracting slave labor let's be clear what this is these are people who are not allowed to leave and who are required to work if they can, if they are able-bodied, they are required to work. And you have companies that, that contract that labor to different companies and organizations, and they make so much money contracting slave labor that they're traded on the stock market. They make tens of billions of dollars a year. 
basically trading slave labor. The 13th Amendment, if you read the 13th Amendment, it says that, and I'm paraphrasing because I don't have it in front of me, but it says that slavery is now illegal. It is illegal to force someone to do labor unless they've been convicted of a crime. So chattel slavery never ended. It just got taken out of the private sector and put in the public sector. And that is what the prison industrial complex is. It's built around the contracting of the prisons. It's built around uh, the contracting of all of the different cottage industries uh, related to corrections and, and, and keeping people in jail. It's related to the massive labor unions uh, that are built around uh, the growing number of, of, uh, of, of prison workers and, and, and corrections officers and other people that work in the jails. But it's also built around the free labor. And it's gotten so bad that in an increasing number of states, they actually have state governments actually have a minimum quota of the number of you, the people listening to this, the residents of these states who must be in their prisons at any given time. It has absolutely nothing to do with public safety. It has absolutely nothing because public safety would never require a minimum number of people in jail. That has nothing to do with it. Uh, public health would never require a certain number of people in jail. It's entirely built around contracts that they have with labor contractors, with free prison labor contractors that they have said, we will make sure that you have this many workers working for free for you or else we'll have to pay out some kind of penalty. So they actually pass laws with the knowledge that they have to grow the number of people in their prisons every single year. That is how cynical and disgusting this system is. It is, it is as bad as anyone can imagine or even worse. Now, going to your question, how do we dismantle it? Well, first of all, we treat something like a prison quota, like the violation of the Constitution that it clearly is. There is nothing in the Constitution that would uh, justify any government, state or federal, requiring a certain number of Americans being in prison just because and building an entire system of criminal justice around putting people in jail and incentivizing it all the way from the police officer to the prosecutor to the judge to the to the corrections officer and everyone in between. That is a, an absolutely horrible system and is a violation of the Constitution. Clearly, it is a violation of the civil rights of the people. Uh, both individually and writ large. Um, it also, uh, it, you have to end the uh, the war on drugs, which is the greatest contributor to the number right. of people that are in jail to begin with. You also have to end the war on guns, which is in the, same, uh, in the same, uh, the same uh, uh, vein as the war on drugs, where it is enforced against, largely against marginalized communities, people who cannot fight back and are unable to uh, fight back uh, in, a, in an effective way to keep themselves out of jail, uh, like more powerful and wealthy people could. Um, and just like the war on drugs, the war on guns is disproportionately enforced against them. So we have to end that as well. Um, and we have to end things like qualified immunity, uh, which allows police officers to uh, and other government officials to basically be immune from uh, any kind of liability for their actions. If they themselves decide that what they did was, quote unquote, reasonable. Imagine if you could go to uh, court and say, Your Honor, I know I've been accused of murder, but I think what I did was perfectly reasonable. And the judge says, okay, well, then I'll drop the charges. That's qualified immunity. And we could get even deeper into how qualified immunity has created so many problems. But we end that as well. We, own the, we end the no-knock raids. We end civil asset forfeiture, which is the, the program whereby, and it's, it's a federal program that's managed by the states, whereby the government can take everything from you if they suspect that you committed a crime. Even if you haven't been convicted, they take it from you before trial. You know, the very time you would need your own stuff to pay for your defense. And instead, they use your own money to pay for your prosecution, which right. is an absolute violation of due process. It's a violation of your four, first and your fourth and arguably your fifth 
uh, Amendment right or definitely your Fifth Amendment right as well. Uh, and so and then even if by some miracle you're found not guilty or you are uh, the charges are dropped, you then have to sue the government, pay money you do not have because they stole it from you, pay to sue the government for your own property back, even though it was just demonstrated in court that they never should have taken it in the first place. So that ends as well. All of these things are various cogs in a machine that is built around disenfranchising, criminalizing, imprisoning, and enslaving tens of millions of Americans. And it all has to be dismantled. You know, I, one of the things I, I love about you know, what we're talking here, everything that you're providing, you're going back to the Constitution. You're essentially holding the government to the Constitution, which I don't know, have we ever really truly did that? Um <laughs> I mean, when people talk about, hey, I'm not sure you 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 love your country because you're saying these things. What more yeah. love can you show for your country than the fact that say, hey, look, I have this belief in the fact that if we just we we have always felt that we were given directions, at least a place to start. As long as we kind of steered in this course with with yep. you know what our founding fathers provided, then we would be okay. We just the problem is you know you once you get more people a little bit more power they want more and it just kind of grows and we steered away from that but i love the fact you literally all are just constantly referencing the amendments and i love the fact you reference the 10th amendment yeah i love that one mm-hmm. um but holding the government to the constitution um now speaking yeah, about the here, here's, go ahead i'm sorry I'm sorry i just have to, i just have to add to that real quickly um Yes. If we are to have a government that is governed by any charter, char, you know, charter document, which in this case is the Constitution, then it makes no sense that a government that would hold us to its standards of U.S. code of laws wouldn't be held to its own standards in, in, as, as written in the Constitution. Um, and so that is a very much a foundational belief that if we are to have this government under the Constitution, it needs to be limited as clearly written under the Constitution, not as, you know, uh, completely skewed by various Congresses and Supreme Courts, but as clearly and plainly written and understood by anyone who reads it. Um, and that's not to say that the Constitution is a perfect document or that the people right. who wrote it are perfect people. It is to say that if we are to exist in a under the jurisdiction, the presumed jurisdiction of a government which claims that it has the authority over you based on the Constitution, great, then let's govern based on the Constitution. Yeah, I love it. So going back to uh, you know law enforcement and the uh, qualified immunity, um, you know how do how do you uh, address if you were a group of police officers, federal agents, etc., and you're saying mm-hmm. these things? How do you address them to where they feel like they're going to be supported in your administration? So I have had conversations with law enforcement across the country, uh, including groups like LEAP, the Law Enforcement Action Partnership. And uh, in the same way that we were given a bad, uh, sold a bad bill of goods, where we were told that, you know, if you don't support the wars, then you're not supporting the troops. And then we start talking to active duty troops and veterans who say, no, we don't like these wars either. We support dismantling them 100 percent. We're being sold an equally bad bill of goods when it comes to things like the militarized police state and the war on drugs and qualified immunity when it comes to the vast majority of police in this country. The police are not being given good spokespeople in the form of the pandering politicians and the police union heads. The vast majority of the police do not like the system as it is set up. They signed up to protect and serve their communities, and they are increasingly being used for revenue collection and enforcing an immoral and destructive war on drugs, and they don't like it. They don't like how people, and now they are in a position where they have to either uh, you know, enforce things they don't like 
or not be able to provide for their families. Because it's easy for one of us to go, well, yeah, well, if you don't like it, you should quit. This is their career. This is what they have. You know, this is how they provide food to their families. This is something that often has been a family you know, career for many generations, uh, similar to the military. Um, and so now they're having to choose to kind of go against the, you know, what the, what the family has done for generations, uh, time immemorial, uh, or, you know, do things that they don't like. The average police officer in this country would love nothing more than for bad officers to be removed from the force so that being a good officer is actually rewarded for the first time in quite some time. And for the rift between them and the public that they serve to finally begin to heal, especially among the most marginalized among them, they would love this. They would love to be where their only job is to protect the lives and rights and property of the people around them so that not only is their job easier and something that they're proud to do, but that the public doesn't resent them. The public's not scared of when when the public sees them, they're relieved, they're happy, they're grateful. They would love nothing more than for it to be that way. Here is the problem with qualified immunity. Qualified immunity was introduced in the 1960s by the Supreme Court as a way to give cover to abusive governments who were brutalizing civil rights protesters, primarily in the South. It was strengthened later to enforce to go against to, to, to give them the power to brutalize anti-war protesters. It was strengthened later uh, to allow them to, uh, you know, br- uh, you know, better, more easily enforce the war on drugs and then later the, the war on terrorism. But at, at its core. As I said before, qualified immunity is a doctrine that says that police are not held liable for, and, for, and, and not just police, but CPS workers, uh, all sorts of other government officials are held immune from liability for their actions if they themselves determine that what they did was reasonable. Here is how that plays out. Derek Chauvin, the man who uh, murdered George Floyd, before he did that, he had 17 other complaints against him. 17, including wrongful death cases. It is possible that Derek Chauvin had already murdered other people. And when the Minneapolis Police Department looked at Derek Chauvin, they made the same cost-benefit analysis that police departments and other government agencies around the country do when they look at the bad apples in their bunch. They looked at him and said, this is a terrible cop. He is hurting people. He is harming their lives. He needs to go. But if we try to get rid of him, it will cost us a fortune having to fight the police unions. It will take years to do it. And there's no guarantee we'll be able to get rid of him. And if we keep him on the force, he's not costing us anything additional because we have qualified immunity. He can't be sued. We can't be sued. And so they keep him on the force and they think, well, one day he'll probably go too far and then he'll be arrested and then we can kick him off the force. So all sorts of harm is being done by these handful of, you know, we're told it's a minority of bad apples. That's true. But the bad apples aren't being held accountable. And the good apples are being disincentivized to actually hold the bad apples accountable because they know nothing will happen to them. If you end qualified immunity and simply say that the police, this doesn't mean the police aren't allowed to do their jobs. It simply says that the police are held to the same standard that anyone else is. If they infringe upon the lives and rights and properties of the people, infringe upon their constitutional rights, they can be held liable like anyone else. It doesn't instantly assume that their lawsuit will win. It, it, they might very well get sued and, and the judge or, and the jury determines that they did nothing wrong. But it just means that they can be held accountable and liable like anyone else can. Like there, There's nothing magical about them. They should be able to be held liable just like anyone. None of us can say, Your Honor, I think what I did was reasonable and that's enough for it to get dropped. Right. So why would it be for anyone else? They're, they're, they're not, they're not, you know, we are not an animal farm where some pigs are, are more equal than others. And so because of that, 
when you get rid of qualified immunity, it flips it all around. Now those police departments, when they look at a Derek Chauvin, they go, this guy needs to get out of here. He's going to cost us a fortune. We need to replace him with a good cop who doesn't do this kind of stuff. And the police unions also look at Derek Chauvin and say, we need to get rid of this guy. He's going to cost us a fortune. We need to replace him with a good cop who will do good things and not harm people. And the police themselves will be encouraged and incentivized to look for when officers are doing bad, abusive things and report them and root them out. Bad policing will finally be punished. Good policing will finally be encouraged and incentivized. And we can begin to see a rift that has been existing for decades now between the police and the public to finally begin to heal. Yeah, I, I uh, and there are many other things we can do to hold police accountable. But that is the single. If I had to pick just one thing for us to do, ending qualified immunity would be that thing. And Joe will do that as president. Yeah, yeah the the other thing I, I think with the equation is the fact that just going back to the laws. If you have so many laws for so many yes. uh, things that aren't hurting anybody, aren't taking anybody's, you know, what I'm saying things that are mm-hmm. creating victims. Um, then the cops have to be the ones. They're the face of those laws every day. And if you're seeing this yep. guy like twice a week or this gal twice yep. a week because you're just living your life, but the law says this or the law says that, and it's just a domino effect of all these yep. things, yep. and it just escalates. And this is, I think, this is what it. We just keep throwing laws on the books, and heck, you know, I don't. Even, I'm not even sure what is legal, what's not legal. Some days, you know, depending on <laughs> you know what governor's writing what law, whatever. And this, all this yep. stuff is just yep. ridiculous, and. You know, there's yep. this. I was explaining to my son today. Actually, we're out working at a hunting property, and uh, we we're talking. It's so funny. We we're having this conversation about laws, and I said a law is only as good as someone who's actually able to enforce it. So our yep. county sheriff, there. You know, we were one of the things was, uh, you know, churches being able to hold service on Sunday. He literally came out and said, "Look, I ain't going to nobody's church on Sunday. If you guys want to assemble and and you know go to church and all that, that hey, you know, governor can say what he wants, but." He's going to have to send somebody else down here, but he ain't going to do it here. You know, that's exactly what it takes. It takes that elected official, which the sheriff is, very powerful position in a county to, to come out mm-hmm. there and say, hey, look, because they do swear an oath to the Constitution. Um, these yeah. are... These are just simple rights. And on top of it, they're not rights that the government just said, okay, we're going to give these to you. No, there are rights before you. And uh, I think... Oh, yeah. The, yeah. And let's be very clear. Rights do not come from government because if they come from government, government can take them away at will. Our rights come by the virtue of our existence. And if you're a religious person, you believe that your rights came from your 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 creator. They came from God um, or whatever you call your, your deity. Um, but uh, even from looking at it from just a secular standpoint, your rights exist by virtue of the fact that you exist. And there is no argument that I've been able to see that passes the moral sniff test to say that you do not, in fact, own yourself, that you do not, in fact, have the right to determine what it is you do with your own bodily autonomy uh, and, and that you are governed by that. And obviously, any uh, anything that you do that would be an infringement on someone else's ownership and bodily autonomy would, in fact, be a, a perfect example of something that should be a crime. Murder, rape, kidnapping, uh, you know, uh, assault, theft, fraud. These are all things that are legitimately and understandably crimes. Uh, but saying, uh, I don't approve of you doing that with your body, uh, whether it is doing sex work or whether it is doing a drug or whether it is, uh, you know, owning a certain type of gun or whatever that is or going to church on a Sunday. That is none of the government's business. Right. It should not be. And as you said, the more things you give the police to enforce, not only are you creating more police interactions, but you're making it harder for them 
to be able to spend their time enforcing actual things that should be laws. Eric Garner, who was killed uh, a few years ago, the, 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 the guy who yelled out, I can't breathe. They didn't kill that interaction didn't start with cigarettes, right? It was over cigarettes or something. He was selling cigarettes without collecting taxes and he didn't have the license to sell cigarettes. That is why they gave him a hard time. If the police, if the government had simply minded their business and allowed someone to sell a thing to someone else because it's no one's business, that would have never happened. They would have seen him. They would have waved and said, hey, how are you doing, Eric? And he would have said, I'm doing great. Have a great day. And he would have gone and continued selling uh, his loose cigarettes uh, without any collecting taxes, which is no one's business. And that is the problem. The problem is the more interactions you create, the more opportunities you create for the police and the public to be in contentious situations. And the police, the job of the police is to enforce the laws using whatever level of of coercion or violence is required to bring people into compliance because they have to. It is not their job to go, oh, okay, uh, I don't like this uh, law. So I, you know, have a great day. Now, a sheriff can do that, which is why I like sheriffs, uh, because a sheriff is an elected official who can decide whether or not something should even be enforced in the first place. But the average beat cop, they don't have that authority. So, no, absolutely. You reduce the laws, you reduce the number of interactions. And just by virtue of doing that, you reduce the amount of, of brutality just by reducing the number of interactions. You know, if we just uh, I, th- I think we all, when people talk about division and I see all this, these different arguments about people saying, hey, it's my body. I can do what I want when it comes to, say, abortion. Uh, when you talk yeah. about gay marriage, et cetera. I always yeah. go back to the fact that, hey, these are all individual rights. We're technically we're all fighting for the same thing. We just protect individual rights. You know, all of us win. All of us win. They all boil down to the individual having a smallest minority individual. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Smallest minority. Yep. You know, so I want to get to this because I, I know we're, we're kind of running here, but you guys got a huge opportunity to bring in young voters and not only to support your campaign, but potentially even bring into the Libertarian Party. I mean, especially with your background, and we, we, we probably should have gone a little bit into it, but there is a definite connection that you can bring uh, that young vote in. And are you guys got to be excited about that. Oh, absolutely. And here's the thing. Uh, I, and I, I'm a, a millennial, but I'm like an old millennial. So I'm almost more like a Gen X type, but I'm, I'm 38, which technically makes me a millennial, which if, uh, if the fact that 38 year olds are millennials, uh, uh, <laughs> uh is, is, isn't depressing to you, it doesn't make, do you feel old? I yet? was getting more oh, of the yeah. fact of the techie background and the entrepreneur at a young age, but that's fine too. Yeah. And the techie background as well. Yeah. So for those who, who don't know what he's, what Brian's referring to, uh, I started a web design company back when I was 16, uh, in 1999. And it was, uh, I was able to grow it into a successful business and it allowed me to retire, uh, three years ago in my, in my, I guess, early to mid thirties. So I could focus my life full time on, on libertarian activism. But, um, yeah, here's the thing with, with the, the, the Gen Z and, uh, and millennial cultures, uh, they are very, very anti-authoritarian. Um, they were raised and told that they were special and that, uh, they should be able to have a lot of self-determination in their lives. And, uh, that's not happening for them. They were told it, but it's not happening. Uh, they are instead being, uh, met with crippling debt, uh, at a very early age for higher education, which for their parents and grandparents, it didn't cost nearly that much. So, uh, they didn't have those types of issues and they're, they're dealing with a massive, uh, disparity between the cost of living and, and how much money they can actually earn thanks to the Federal Reserve and other bad policies from government. Uh, and so they're in uniquely a, a, a situation where because of bad government policy, uh, 
they are anti-authoritarian and are forced into a level of authoritarianism and, and reliance on government that previous generations, uh, by and large, were not to the same degree. Uh, and it's only getting worse. Uh, this is a generation, uh, t- really two generations of people who were raised on the concept of consent, consent culture. Everything is about consent. Everything is about opting in or opting out. Um, and so... And yet in their actual day-to-day lives, they are increasingly have less and less control of their lives. There's this major dichotomy between their very anti-authoritarian and very consent-based way of of life and thinking and the increasingly authoritarian and non-consensual and coercive way that they have to live. And unfortunately, many of them, uh, you know, there are people that are telling them that are correctly telling them that the reason that things are like this is because of incredibly powerful, well-heeled people that have created a system that was designed really to harm them for the benefit of those very wealthy people. Uh, unfortunately, they're often being told that the answer is to tax those people and to give them, for lack of a better word, free stuff or affordable stuff and the things that they need to live. And if you're, if this entire exposure to the system is, is all bad, then a completely different system that involves taxing people, other people, and, and so that you can afford to live, uh, it sounds good, especially when the only other uh, alternative you're hearing is, well, this is free market capitalism, which it isn't, uh, but they're being told it's free market capitalism. This is the best system we've ever had. And well, your idea would destroy free market capitalism. And they go, okay, good because this system hasn't worked for me. And if it destroys it, even better. Um, But we're in a a very unique position to be able to also empathize with them and also agree that this was a system created that wasn't for them. But unlike the people that are pushing for a doubling down on even more power for those cronies and government officials, we can show them that it was those self-same cronies and government officials who created the system who are now telling you that you need to give them even more power and even more money so they can have even more control of your lives. And that we propose a system that puts the power and the wealth and the decision-making ability and the self-ownership back in your hands where it always belonged so that we can live and thrive and prosper in ways that aren't even possible under the current Republicrat system. Um, so yeah, I see it as an incredible opportunity. Uh, I have met with people of all different age groups. I've gone to uh, I've gone to uh, college campuses, both in person and online. I have gone to housing projects. I've gone to all sorts of different protests and rallies. Uh, I'm doing, like I said, this bus tour around the country. I'm meeting people across the, the, the generations. And I have found that the, 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 the young and the members of those marginalized communities, the poor people of color and so forth, they're the ones who are the most receptive to our movement and our message when it's presented to them in an empathetic and engaging and dynamic way, because I don't have to convince them that this system isn't working for them. They already knew that before I met them. So I find it an incredible opportunity, not just for our campaign, but like you said, for this party and for this movement and for our our movement to set people free and to put the power back in the hands of the people where it always belonged. And there's a huge chunk of non-voters that are out there for you yes. guys for, for the taking. Um, how are you stimulating that? How are you getting out to that? Uh, you know, what is your big connection? I know you got all your, I'll say this, uh, the, the media, you guys, your production has been amazing. And if it can actually get out there a little bit more, I, I can definitely see a lot more energy coming. But along with that, I mean, what are you doing to really grab that and hold on to that? Mm -hmm. It's the same thing that I was just saying with the younger generations. Non-voters 
meaning people who are eligible to vote but do not vote, which make up anywhere from 35 to 45 percent of the electorate. If their vote counted as none of the above, none of the above would win in a landslide in all but a couple of states in presidential elections and, and really in, in most elections across the board. Like this is a, a, a plurality of people, of eligible voters who are so disgusted with the system uh, that they don't even bother voting. They recognize that it doesn't matter which Republican or Democrat they vote for. They, ma- they recognize that it doesn't matter whether you listen to CNN or Fox News. They recognize that you're just being lied to, right. that this system is built around lies and theft and, and, and vindiction and, and, and victimization of people. They recognize that. They recognize that this system is a big country club and we aren't members. They get that. Uh, and the problem is, unfortunately, they often don't know that there is an actual option of people that are fighting to make that no longer be the case and to put the power back in their hands uh, where it should have always been. Um, and we do reach them. And when we reach them, we you know, these are people that obviously are honestly very often are uniquely libertarian. And unfortunately, in past cycles, we've been told, oh, they don't vote because they're lazy. Well, that's simply untrue. Uh, there have been multiple focus groups and studies and surveys of the folks who don't vote. And overwhelmingly, this none of them say, oh, I just don't feel like doing this on a Tuesday. They say there's, it's not worth voting because my right. options suck. They're all liars. This system is, 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 a, is you know, a, a system of theft and control. And, and it's, it's to, to benefit very powerful people. Like, they get it. Um, so in the same way that when I talk to young people and people of color and, and the homeless uh, and, uh, and, and the poor, and, and talk to them about how this system doesn't benefit them. And they go, who are you telling? I already knew that. Uh, and really all my only, my only, at that point, my only chore is to just explain, uh, how our system, how our, our policies and our, our philosophy and our ethos, our common sense solution will fix these problems. It's the same thing with the, with the non-voters. I go up to them and I say, I know why you're not voting. I know what you believe about this system and you're hundred percent correct and we're going to fix it. Um, so really the only you know, problem, and it's a good problem to have, is just getting in front of as many voters between now and election day as possible. Because when we get in front of them, overwhelmingly, we convert them, especially the ones who are the most up for grabs, which are the ones who are the most left behind by the system. Um, so that is our challenge is to get in front of as many people as possible and simply express to them, uh, empathize with them, meet them where they are. Uh, agree with their, with their, you know, validate their concerns. These are legitimate concerns uh, and reflect back that we understand what these problems are and then demonstrate how our solutions will fix it and take them on the journey towards how Liberty fixes these, these problems. Right. So I want to make sure I know you got to go, but you're getting ready to get on that bus tour and people want to find you and Joe, like, let's get it all. Let's, and I'll make sure to put this stuff in the show notes. Sure, absolutely. So uh, the best way to reach us, uh, our website is Joe20, that's J-O-2-0.com. You can follow us. Uh, I believe our events are on there as well, so you'll be able to follow how our bus tour is going. Um, If you're able to make a contribution, uh, because all uh, political campaigns, unfortunately, do need money. Uh, The the more money we have, the more we're able to get in front of people. Uh, We would greatly appreciate any contribution you can make. There's a big donate button there. More importantly, if you are able, if you'd like to join our team, there is a volunteer uh, form that you can fill out there and, uh, and you can fill it out and, and join our team. We are building a grassroots army of liberty fighting to set the world free in our time. And we believe that our time is now. Um, if you want to follow me on social media, uh, I am at Real Spike Cohen on Twitter. Uh, I am uh, Spike Cohen on Facebook. If you just look for Spike Cohen, um, the website, uh, the address on, on Facebook is facebook.com slash literally Spike Cohen. 
Um, I am at literally Spike Cohen on uh, Instagram. I am Spike Cohen on YouTube. If you search for Joe Jorgensen or Spike Cohen on any of the, the major uh, uh, um, social media platforms, you'll find us. But again, our website is joe20j020.com. And uh, Brian, I really appreciate your time tonight. And I, I appreciate to everyone who tuned in to, to listen to Route 16 Grind. And, uh, and I thank you for your time. And I, I hope to get to meet some of you on this tour. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I know Joe's supposed to be up in uh, Durham, I think, next weekend. I'm going to try and get up there. And if you come out to the North Carolina area, I'll make every effort to get out there and make sure people know. Thank you so much for fitness in. I know you guys are busy. Uh, you got a book schedule and we had to reschedule. So thank you so much for doing this again. I learned a lot and I cannot wait to just hear more and energy. And you definitely got my vote uh, when it comes November. Thank you. That means a lot, Brian. And thank you to everyone who listened. Have a great night. The Outdoor Update is brought to you by Tuffy Security Products. Having your vehicle broken into is not a laughing matter. Trust Tuffy Security Products to stop opportunistic thieves. Tuffy is the industry leader in automotive security and provides peace of mind when you walk away from your rig. Durable and easy to install. Tuffy Security Products has adventure-ready consoles, drawers, and lockboxes available for you to organize your rig and secure your gear. Visit TuffyProducts.com and use special offer code GRIND to save 10% on your order. Remember to lock it up. Welcome back to the Outdoor Update, the weekly segment where we provide you the stories, news, and information from the recent going-ons in the outdoor world. This article, which I'm going to share with you, is from Farm Journal at agweb.com. Uh, the title is Government Cameras Hidden on Private Property, Welcome Open Fields. It's by uh, Chris Bennett, who is the author. So it has it, seated at his kitchen table, finishing off remains of Sunday, a Saturday breakfast, Hunter's Hollingworth's world was rocked by footsteps on his porch, pounding at the door, punctuated by an aggressive order, open up or we'll kick the door down. Surrounded on all si- all of his house sides and the driveway blocked, Hollingworth was a target of approximately 10 federal and state wildlife officials packing pistols, shotguns, and rifles. And what was Hollingworth's crime? Drugs, armed robbery, assault, money, laundering? Not quite. Months prior in 2018, the Tennessee landowner removed a game camera secretly strapped on to a tree on his private land by wildlife officials in order to monitor his activity without apparent sanction or probable cause. Repeat, Hollingsworth's residence was searched by U.S. government and state officials dressed to the nines in assault gear seeking to regain possession of a trail camera. The precise camera that had they had surreptitiously placed on his private acreage after sneaking onto his property at night, loading the camera with an active SD and SIM cards, zip tying the device roughly to a 10 foot high tree, all without a warrant. So the question comes in, can the U.S. government place cameras and monitor equipment on private citizens land at will? Can they conduct surveillance stakeouts on private land without probable cause or even a search warrant? Well, guess what? According to the U.S. Supreme Court, interpretation of the Fourth Amendment, welcome to open fields. The vast majority of Americans assume law enforcement needs a warrant to carry out surveillance. But for roughly a century, the Supreme Court of the United States has ruled that private land is not private. Fourth Amendment protections against unreasonable searches and seizures expressed by the Bill of Rights only apply to an individual's immediate dwelling 
area, according to the Supreme Court of the United States. However, Supreme Court United States Open Fields Doctrine has been bunked in the Mississippi, Montana, New York, Oregon, and Vermont through protections granted by state constitutions. And for many American landowners, the more they discover about open fields, the more questions they are regarding the bounds of government power. In Tennessee, Hollingsworth and Terry Rainwaters, another landowner who discovered multiple trail cameras on his property placed by the state, are taking their cause to the state court claiming violations of Tennessee state constitution. The Rainwaters and Hollingsworth stories contain alarming claims regarding the behavior of wildlife officials and raise a bevy of questions over open fields, state rights, and sanctity of property rights. Private property rights. Now, I talked a little bit about Mr. Hollingsworth. Let's go ahead and talk about uh, Mr. Terry Rainwater. On the bottom squeeze in the rolling hills of northwest Tennessee, Benton County, a short walk from the banks of the Big Sandy River, Terry Rainwaters, 53, owns 136 acres of land containing two homes, farmland, and an equipment shed. Rainwaters and his son, Hunter Rainwaters, 20, live in one of the homes. A tenant occupies the other. The acreage is a physical center of Rainwaters' life, a small place to farm, hunt, reside, with no way in, one way out, excuse me, one way in, one way out, and a gate that stays locked, backed by no trespassing and posted signs. On his way to hunt on his father's land, during the first week of December 2017, Hunter Rainwaters was driving a side-by-side through the property when he noticed an oddity positioned roughly four feet off the ground. He popped the brakes back toward the object and looked in, a surpri- looked in surprise at a trail camera belted to a tree. He said, I didn't see any words or stickers on it, but I knew right away it wasn't ours. Following the hunt, he drove back onto the father family property and spotted a second trail camera attached to a tree with several branches removed to allow for unimpeded lens view. Rainwaters dialed his father's cell phone, described the two cameras, and he said, I was shaken up when my son called, and I knew immediately it had to be the TWRA, Tennessee Wildlife Resources Agency. Deeply disturbed, Rainwaters arrived home later in the afternoon, and they look at the two cameras, mulling over Whether to remove the pair two days later, with Rainwaters in limbo on what action to take, both cameras disappeared. Ask the TWRA how many cameras they have on people's private land right now watching their every move. I bet they won't answer the question. We all know why. No warrants, no judge, no crime necessary. Just set up surveillance and do whatever they want to do. Now, the Farm Journal... They asked the TWRA multiple questions related to the use of these trail cameras surveilling Tennessee residents, including, but not limited to, does the TWRA have a list of past camera location and current active cameras? Who in the TWRA is allowed to view the footage? How long are the cameras allowed to operate in place? Does the TWRA recommend prosecution for a landowner for breaking or removing a camera? TWRA declined to comment. The agency cannot comment on matters in litigation, nor can we provide comment on issues that are currently being litigated. TWRA directed all questions to the Tennessee Attorney General's office. Are you guys smelling this? Let's continue. The cameras were collecting pictures of us hunting, driving, and just our lives, he adds. One of the cameras 
was even recording footage up to the back of my tenant's house. Rainwater contends he encountered armed TWR agents on his private property on multiple occasions, either crossing his land or hiding in an undergrowth during hunting season. Rainwater explains, TWRA officers sneak onto my land with no cause other than hopping, hoping to find someone doing something wrong. I got a clean hunting record. I don't look for trouble with nobody, but people just can't believe what has happened on my land. It's so wrong on so many levels and way past outrageous and dangerous. I don't think people realize a no trespassing sign and private land sign mean nothing to the TWRA. The alleged surveillance may have origins partially related to 2016 hunting violations, where Rainwater says when his son and a group of friends were ticketed for baiting doves. I paid their fines myself in an amount to $380 times eight people. Yeah, all this started over hunting tickets, and now the TWRA thinks it's okay to set up surveillance on my land. Before all this, we never realized what they were able to do on private land. We gotten so much response from people fired up over the TWRA that most of them like are like me. They never even heard of this ridiculous doctrine called open fields. Now, open fields, the vast majority of Americans assume law enforcement needs a warrant to carry out surveillance. But for roughly a century, the United States Supreme Court has ruled that private land is not so private. Fourth Amendment protections against unreasonable search and seizures expressed in the Bill of Rights only apply to an individual's immediate dwelling in Curtilage, according to the Supreme Court of the United States. Curtilage is an acrim term loosely translated as the area directly around a home or the yard. In 1924, Hester v. The United States set up the Open Fields Framework and said that the United States Constitution does not extend to most land. The special protection under the Fourth Amendment to the people in their persons, houses, papers, and effects is not extended to the open fields. Significantly, open fields is translated beyond its literal sense, basically defined as general acreage, woods, fields, farmland, barren ground, and more. Further, in 1984, the Supreme Court of the United States gave added strength to open fields in Oliver versus the United States. Open fields do not provide the setting for those intimate activities that the amendment is intended to shelter from the government interference or surveillance. There is no such, there is no societal interest in protecting the privacy of those activities, such as the cultivation of crops that occur in open fields. I'm surprised we haven't heard about open fields, says Stephen Mutnick, a criminal defense attorney with Winslow McCurry in Mithilonian, Virginia. For right now, landowners have to remember that Fourth Amendment protections only extend to the home, personal effects, and curtilage. If you post your property, no trespassing, private citizens' home uh, have to stay away, but that does not apply to the government officials who do, don't even need probable cause. However, Supreme Court of the United States Open Fields Doctrine has been bunked in Mississippi, Montana, Oregon, Vermont through the protections granted by state constitutions. The Injustice for Justice, IJ, a national libertarian law firm and legal advocacy group representing clients pro bono, has taken on both the Rainwaters and Hollingsworth cases. Tennessee could become the first state in 20 years to reject open fields. We got involved in both cases because we see an egregious abuse of property and privacy rights under the Tennessee Constitution. 
and an opportunity to show why the Federal Open Fields Doctrine is so misguided, said IJ attorney Joshua Whitman. Now, with this said, the Farm Journal, they went back to the TWRA and said, hey, what is your perspective on the Open Fields Doctrine? And of course, the government agency said, hey, we can't comment on matters in litigation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Go to the Tennessee Attorney General's office. You still smelling it, y'all? You still smelling it? Whitman insists private gates and no trafficking sign apply to government officials. Otherwise, the government is saying your private land is my public property. Terry Rainwaters lives on his property, has a clean hunting record, yet he has to put up with wildlife officers hiding in the bushes, ducking behind grass, and covertly recording his movements. By any definition, that's incredibly invasive. Everyone must keep in mind that the trail cameras were removed before Terry could take them down. That leaves at least two questions. One, how many pictures were taken? Two, how long are they going to keep taking them if Terry had never discovered the cameras? Women's questions ripped the lid off Pandora's box and additional queries. How often does the TWRA place warrantless photo or video cameras on land of state residents? Beyond the officer who places the camera, who else is in the know? Does the TWRA have a list of past camera locations and current active cameras? Who in the government is allowed to view the footage? Who owns the footage? Is the government recording private personal moments? Can the government film for days, weeks, years? Does the TWRA recommend prosecution of landowners for breaking or removing a camera? Both legal and ethical perspectives, the questions are extensive. Most people recognize that if the government can enter your land on a whim and photograph you or videotape you without a warrant, that is wrong on a basic level. But unfortunately, TWRA has been doing this for years, and they're still doing it today. What happened to Terry Rainwaters is not isolated. It's widespread. Looking at Hunter Hollingsworth, for example, when people hear the details of what the TWRA did on his land, they're shocked. This is just unbelievable, y'all. And, you know, it, it goes. this goes on and on and actually goes in more details and stuff. But you're getting the theme here. This is wrong. There is no way, shape, or form that the government should be allowed on your property. Hey, I just want to hunt. I just want to fish. I just want to live my life. But because that property extends beyond whatever mystery line that includes your house and private residence, the government just can come on and come off and let alone record your life. This is wrong. People talk about, oh, I'm so worried about drones in the sky over America. Dude, these are cameras at your house. And all you want to do is live your life. This is something that we really need to monitor. This is something we need to take up cause on. This is wrong. There is no way you as a hunter, now you break the rules. I get that. No problem. Okay. I may not agree what the rule is, but hey, it's the rule. Got it. I'll take that one up. But this is just wrong. This guy, he paid his son, made a mistake, paid the fine. And honestly, baiting for doves, I mean, come on, okay? Come on. I'm pretty sure, hey, his dad told him, he probably paid everything for everybody, right? Dad told him, hey, don't do that. Got it. Learning lesson. But it wasn't uh, something disgusting and like we talked, we covered uh, earlier in the year. But this guy just wants to hunt. He wants to live his life. Wants to live with his family. Wants that isolation. Wants privacy. Every one of us deserves privacy. 
It's our own right. It's not something the government provides us. Why is the government doing this? Why do we feel it's wrong? Why do we feel it's right? Why are we not upset about these things? This is something you guys need to dive into. Got on my soapbox a little bit. I'm just, just is just wrong. I'm going to go figure out what's going on in North Carolina. I'm going to go get with my representatives to find out. I personally don't own agriculture land and all that type of stuff. But you know what? This year, you know, I'm going to talk about a tiny bit probably, but um, I, yeah, I, I got on a lease. I'm still going to hunt public land. I got a lot of places I want to talk about that a little bit. But you know that, that right there, for the fact that someone can just come on someone's property that is just because they have a badge or something and say, well, I'm just going to record things. You know, if something happens, you know, hey, I got you. That is, that is so wrong. That is not how our legal system was set up. That is wrong. You know, if you guys got a comment on this, I would love to hear it. If you got a different take, I would love to hear it. If you want to come on a show and talk about it and, and maybe you have a different point of view of saying why this is a good thing. Um, I'm just not seeing it. I, I find, I find this disgusting that, that, uh, this happens and I find it horrible that, uh, a, a law enforcement officer would do this. Now, and I will end on this caveat. This ain't an attack on law enforcement officials at all. I love you guys. Couldn't do your job, man. I know no way, especially, especially everything going on nowadays. But you know what? Yeah, man, like I said before, I, I like good cops, man. I like guys who absolutely look at the Constitution and they're proud to represent that and they are proud to serve in the community and they go out there every day. I know you do some amazing things, but even you, those of you who wear the badge, you got to know this is wrong. This is absolutely wrong. And uh, we should definitely talk about it and do something about it. So again, this article is going to be in the show notes. I encourage you to read the full thing, dive into it, and start researching. If you all are in Tennessee, I would love to hear you. I would love to hear your point of view on this. And let me know from the ground level what you feel about it. The Red Warren Badge says you're equipped to handle anything, ready to conquer any challenge that may come your way. That badge has stood for off-road excellence for more than 70 years. During that time, we haven't stopped innovating or striving for perfection. Be ready. Be prepared. Go Warren. When you hear the calls, you know we have a report from the field. Now, I'm going to share a little bit of my scouting plan for the upcoming deer season. I'm definitely going to hunt some public land, and I'm going to hunt on some private land. I was able to get along. So, again, the individual that I met that took my son on his youth turkey hunt, um, I was able to, we're, you know, became pretty good friends, actually, and invited me out, uh, him and one other guy. We got a bunch of areas that we lease out, and I plan to go hunting there and definitely doing some turkey hunting there. That place is, uh, man, it's good. But we're going to talk about deer and some other things. I'm going to hunt on some public land, and I'm also going to try and go hunting at the local base here, Fort Bragg. Yeah, I live about 45 minutes from it. And if you remember from previous episodes, when I was out turkey hunting, and when I was out squirrel hunting, uh, I actually started documenting and tagging little areas, taking pictures of, hey, this might be a good bed down location. I would see movements and I'd see tracks and all that kind of stuff. And so the Tar Heel game land out here in North Carolina and the Sand Hills game land are going to be my two primary areas. Now, one of the places I'm going to spend a lot of time on is the Sand Hill game lands because it actually butts up against uh, one of the other federal properties that I'll probably be hunting around. And that place I've got food plots on. So 
This is where game officials have gone out and actually created food plots. They don't tell you where they are. They don't give you a map and say, hey, here's all the food plots out in this area. They actually, you know, put it out and you got to go find this. And I documented when I was out there. So I'm going to go back there and kind of look at the state of the food plot. If it's something that's, you know, actually going to mature or grow and I'm going to look for tracks. I'm going to start looking for rubs and everything else and all that kind of stuff like that. Um, old scrapes, whatever. I'm going to spend some time with that. I'm going to bring a friend. So if you remember last episode, I talked about two individuals with the whole R3 effort. Uh, one of the guys, uh, he actually does hunt. Um, so I'm going to go out there with him and, and we're going to, I'm going to probably learn some things with him as well. Uh, one of the things I'm going to look at is, hey, what is a good spot to put my, uh, you know, my tree stand at now it's the one that you know you kind of carry in carry out the tree stand you know you you elevate up elevate down with your legs and arms and all that and you sit in it so i need to start looking at for good spots and you know i also want to make sure i have the right tools to when i want to place that so it's going to be bring in bring out for those type of public land hunts now for the private land i was out working last weekend i kind of threw a hint in social media about hey i'm working out last weekend and we were out there clearing lanes so areas that we could access there's definitely some food plots there's some bait areas and stuff like that in the in that area and i walked around that property with my son probably after we did a bunch of weeding and all sorts of work it was hot guys um we're looking for a place to put our permanent tree stand. So I, I got a really good tree stand and I'll probably go into it a little bit more detail in another episode. But I was thinking, hey, today I'm going to put it out. But I had to take a step back. I really haven't spent a lot, that much time on this property to really commit. Because when I put this tree stand in, it's going to be for the long haul. I mean, it's a double seater. It's something that my son and I definitely uh, I want to enjoy for a while. And I'll make sure when I put it up, I put it up right. And I put up in a space, obviously, I have a good lane to where not only can I use my rifle, but use my bow. Um, I absolutely want to look at approaches. It butts up against some agriculture fields. Make sure it doesn't hinder, you know, the the wildlife if in a way far as I don't want this thing sitting in the middle where they kind of like it. What the heck is that? And they start changing the ways they're doing things. Um, I want to make sure I can build some camouflage and then the natural foliage will just create kind of a, a natural blind as well. So there's all these things I want to consider when I put that in there. So as much as I'm scouting around for the game and, and you know, what they're eating and looking for the hard oaks and all that kind of stuff like that. I want to look at, hey, where am I going to set up? So there's a lot of things that I have to consider there. And if you guys have some some tips and tricks and all that, I'm willing to uh, hear from you. Let me know. Uh, as well as if you got something far as like what you put out there to kind of, you know, do you grow your own um, type of food plot? Do you put turnips? Do you just prefer the corn feeder? Uh, do you just prefer, you know, bringing up grass and, and, and stuff like that? I would love to hear what you use. Uh, I'm not going to give you all the secrets that uh, this guy uses, but because it's <laughs> pretty good. But uh, I also want to make sure that if I tell you something's good, I want to have a victory too. Uh, so when this year, I feel I'm going to be very successful uh, throughout all the hunts. Uh, the only question mark I'll say is the, the bear hunt, and I'm going to cover that one specifically a little bit later. And what I mean by a little bit later, like later, like another episode yeah, I'm, I'm on the fence on how I'm going to approach that. A lot of things i got to consider, and also comes back to time, uh, just making sure I make those winter season. I do want to do some public land hunting. I want to I give it a go. I want to give it a go for that, uh, challenge myself in that aspect. And on top of it, I'm going to have my son with me, so I'm really looking forward to that experience. But as far as the deer itself, 
Um, I did talk to Ethan. We're going to have some things that we're going to throw out there. Uh, again, his work, his work schedule, my work schedule kind of conflict, but he's going to still be contributing, has some really great things that he wants to bring up. And, you know, he has a lot more experience in many different things than I do. And I think he's going to bring some good things to you on the things that he can contribute uh, with the podcast. But if you can kind of tell, man, that a lot of it comes down to time. I'm spending time in the element that I will be hunting. I'm observing, I'm watching, I'm taking notes, I'm tracking, I'm looking at the conditions. Hey, is this some place that a deer would bed down? Is this a place that a deer would eat? Is this some place that, hey, they would probably run to if they're looking for some protection? All those type of things that I'm looking at. And hopefully all these things pay off like it did for my turkey hunt. You know, I look forward to being successful this year season. And you know what? Again, if you guys got any any tips, tricks, I'm willing to love, love to share them on the show that you're willing to share. And on top of it, if you're just one of these, you know, great hunters, enjoy what you do, come on the show. I'd love to have you. And you can tell everybody, hey, some things, how they can improve. Because just telling me is one thing. How about you share it with some more people? And on top of it, you might encourage someone to take that first hunt. Hey, this is uh, Nikki G, and it's uh, good to hear you back on the air. I was beginning to wonder, and uh, in fact, I compiled a, a list of possible reasons why you uh, suddenly disappeared. Uh, hold on a second. Will you shut up? Jesus, crap, me chicken. Right, so reason number one is a witness relocation program. And now the rooster's joining in. Let me get away from these guys. Reason number two is uh, alien abduction. And uh, reason number three, uh, just spending some quality time with uh, Sasquatch. All right, man. I I missed you. It's good to have you back. And I'll chat at you later. Everyone, bye. Nikki G, I missed you too. It was great seeing you on the trail earlier this year, just a few weeks back. Uh, yes, definitely back. I took a little bit of a breather, a reset. I'm glad to be back on it. And I really do appreciate your support. Enjoy the roosters that are crowing in the yard there. And I enjoy your support. Y'all make sure to go show Nikki G some support and follow 10 Minute Off Road. You can find it on YouTube. You can find it on Facebook. You can find it all over the place. If you're not sure, just look in our show notes. We'll make sure to have a link to 10 Minute Off Road. For over 20 years, PowerTank has been the leader in high-performance portable CO2 air systems. A PowerTank is the ideal air source to air up tires, reseat tire beads, run air tools, and more. It's the only portable air system that can air up a 40-inch tire in under a minute and is backed by a limited lifetime warranty. A power tank does not require electricity and operates silently. See for yourself why power tank is the number one air source for Jeeps, 4x4s, RVs, construction crews, and hunters by going to powertank.com. Take your rig to the next level with the Nexon Rodian MTX. Featuring an aggressive tire design that's extremely versatile for on- and off-road driving. Each tire boasts a dual sidewall design that allows you to customize the look of the tire on your rig. The Nexon Rodian MTX might have rugged traits, but thanks to its patented tread block design, road noise is minimized. Nexon's innovative technology 
State-of-the-art manufacturing and award-winning designs have ensured Nexen is not an industry secret anymore. When you need performance on the road and the trail, choose Nexen. Welcome to the Rock, Mud, and Dirt, sponsored by Nexum Tire. This is a segment where I talk about the people, brands, products, and events from the off-road world. This week, I'm going to talk about burping, root the Jeep. Now, this is something I only did, you know, the for the first time just recently. And I think I might have highlighted a couple episodes I don't really remember. But I'm going to talk about that process a little bit. So I use the OEM Tools No Spill Coolant Funnel Kit. Uh, part number 87009. I bought it from Napa Auto Parts, uh, real kindly had it in stock and I was real appreciative of it. And using this kit, it's kind of like, it doesn't really matter what radiator I have. It has a lot of different components in it. So it has different caps, etc. cetera. The, the, the point is you want to get kind of a seal with this funnel that it goes into your radiator. You, hopefully your engine's cooled off. You don't want to open that thing up when it's hot. You open it up and then you're going to put this basically funnel into it. Then you're going to pour radiator fluid, go a little bit up until you start seeing it filling up and you get a little bit of a water. So maybe halfway up this funnel, maybe a quarter, somewhere around there, you'll know. And then once you start seeing where it's no longer going down into the radiator, the fluid is, and then you're going to run your engine. And as you're running it, it's going to run through the system and you're going to have these air bubbles that will naturally start pushing up out of that area. And then you're going to get a little fluid that's going to replace that air. And you're going to see that. I didn't realize how much air pocket, how many air pockets, one giant air pocket was in my radiator system. And I'll be honest with you, I have no clue how that even happened. Uh, it was kind of on a whim. I just noticed that uh, my temperature is going up. I realized I did replace, a, you remember, I replaced a thermostat cap. Uh, no issues there, but I was still having the same systems. And I remember before someone mentioned, hey, you might want to burp your radiator. And so I got this kit. And I will tell you, it wasn't that long that it took. I just ran it, just let the system do its job until I started seeing little bubbles and little bubbles and then eventually no bubbles. Then when I got to the point of no bubbles, um, all you need to do is you just go ahead and put this little stick into the the bottom of the funnel that goes in. It meets with the uh, radiator area the, the, where the cap is, the valve, and then you're going to kind of just lift that thing off, right? And you got that seal, if you will. And then when you do that, you should hopefully have a good seal. You put your cap back on, you can run it. Now, what happens when you do have air in your radiator system? How do you know? Well, if you know, if you put your heat on full blast and you run it with your engine, you got your engine at, I don't know, 230 degrees, but you got cold air coming in. Uh, there's some issues going on there. And what you don't want, especially because I have a 2008 uh, Jeep Rubicon, JKU, that's what route the Jeep is. You don't want to replace that heat coil. You're hoping to God it isn't that heater coil. Um, is that replacing that? That's not something that I would do. Uh, that's something I've taken to professional. I had it done once and it was a nightmare. They got to take the entire dash off and no way I want to take that on. I mean, if you guys have done, I'd love to hear about it. Uh, would love to hear your success to it. And if you have any secrets to get it done in like a couple hours, I just don't see in that being that, uh, that right there being a same day job or someone like myself. And anyways, uh, with the heater coil, if you have issues, generally you got fluid coming into your passenger seat, like radiator fluid, stuff like that. And you know, that's not going to be any fun for you. Um, but this definitely, I wasn't having any of those symptoms. Uh, heat on full blast, getting cold air, uh, something was up. And again, I remember a good friend of mine said, hey, you may want to look, look at burping your radiator. 
And I did this, and it was a very simple process. Is it something I'll probably put in my maintenance plan? Absolutely. You know, do I want to wait and find out that there's air in my system? No, I don't. Now, I did just recently, I would say less than, I don't know, what, three, four months ago, easily, uh, pre-COVID, so whenever that was, maybe it was six months ago, who knows. But I did replace my head gasket, so I'm not sure if that had anything to do with it. Uh, maybe it did, maybe it didn't, but I wasn't getting any immediate problems. It kind of just crept on. I don't think I have any air coming in my system or whatnot, nothing I can think about. Um, I don't remember uh, doing anything with a radiator off the top of my head, like open up the cap, that kind of stuff. I, I don't know. There, there could have been something I'm just not thinking about, but either way, the problem's fixed. You know, Root the Cheap's running well. Um, I will be placing in... Uh, a different, bigger fan for my on-demand system. I'm going to replace that. I want to put a little bit bigger fan. It runs a tiny bit hot. Uh, I got over 200,000 miles on route to Jeep. So I want to do everything I can to just keep, uh, you know, keep her going all that kind of stuff like that. And I keep up my maintenance and everything. But as far as burping your Jeep, um, real simple technique, real simple things to do. You can find plenty of videos out there. And again, as far as the actual kit that I use, the OEM tools, no spill cool, uh, coolant funnel kit, uh, you can find that at Napa Auto Parts. That's where I went to. You can find it on eBay. You can find it anywhere. I'll find some place that it's at. I'll put it in the show notes. And I would highly recommend that you put this into your rotation of maintenance uh, to just kind of check out. And you know, if anything, at least you might know how to do it if you really do need it. I would definitely do it when you, whenever you replace your radiator fluid, if you're one of the people that actually dump it all, all that kind of stuff, and replace it with fresh uh, radiator fillet. I absolutely would do it then. But you guys got any questions, any comments, any suggestions, hey, open door, open ticket, open phone. Just give us a call, send us an email, and we'd love to hear what you have to offer when it comes to something like this or maybe some other maintenance thing that you have to offer. The Cup of Joe segment is brought to you by C-State Coffee. Have you ever actually drank good coffee? Stop wasting your money on old, stale coffee from the store and make the switch to C-State Coffee. C-State Coffee is a United States Marine Corps veteran-owned and operated roastery selling premium coffee that's roasted on order and delivered fresh to you. Order your coffee today at www.cstatecoffee.com. Hey, I'm so excited to uh, do this show here. It was great having Spike on. I can't tell you uh, how excited I was to have their campaign. You know, they had to cancel. I get it. You know, they get really busy. Things have really stepped up for their campaign. And Spike reaching out, finding time. This was like nine o'clock on a Saturday. He's home, you know, down in South Carolina, making the time. And we literally did that at night on Saturday evening. And it was great. I could have talked to that guy for a couple more hours easily. Uh, very articulate, very smart. And I love the fact that he provided details to every stance. Some of it you might not agree with, some of you may. I would love to hear back from that. Remember, this affects all of us. When you talk about gun rights and you're a hunter, it affects you. All right. When you talk about property rights, that really affects all of us. And and the things going on with law enforcement, I know you guys know like, ah, that's really going to fit in the show. It actually kind of does. And there, that's why there's some things are just going to change with this show. And I might gain some more. I might lose some. But that's okay. I, I think for the things that I want to bring on the show, the things I want to discuss, and I kind of feel a little bit held back. That's why I said, hey, some things are going to change with the show. It is. Like that story when we talked about the outdoor update. That's, uh, you know, private property, your privacy, those type of things. This is a guy that just wants to live on his property and live his life. 
And there is no way in heck that is okay for a government body to come in and creep onto your property and monitor you. You've done nothing wrong. You've done nothing criminal. You're, you're not doing anything that's hurting or anybody else. You're just living your life. This is absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong. Enough on that soapbox, etc. Um, definitely enjoy Nikki G. You call him back, man. I'm going to throw it out again. Guys, 10 minute off road. You guys need to go to him and give him some support. Follow, give him some likes on his uh, social media channels and stuff. I mean, he's got some good things. He's a good dude, man. I know Nikki G for a few years now, uh, met via the Jeep talk show and I'd consider him a really good friend and just a great guy. If you ever come out to North Carolina, run into him. I'm telling you, man, it's worth your time. He's a good dude, really good guy. And, you know, as far as the maintenance stuff and, and all that, uh, I'm going to start bringing some more of that into this show. I don't think I do enough when it comes to that. And there's some things that I, I'll be honest with you, I just don't know. I might just come back with a Q&A and say, hey, man, uh, what do you guys think about this? All that kind of stuff. I'm not going to sit here and fake the funk and act like I know how to do all these sorts of things necessarily in my garage. I don't weld. Um, yeah, if I started doing that, it would like throw up on a freaking piece of metal. Um, I don't drop dimes and all that kind of stuff. I, I'm not there yet. Um, I need to spend some time learning that. I think you guys do it. Awesome. But I'm also want to look at the aspect of it's great to do self maintenance. It's great to do the things to fit yourself. But the most important thing is you're able to bring it to a spec that's safe and where it isn't going to cause future problems. It's not about a band aid fix, it's about fixing something correctly and to the specific of that vehicle or that component, etc. I, I just see so much stuff out there where I'm like, yeah, yeah, that does work. But that's not for the long haul. And I just see some guys doing a lot of self-maintenance, self-work, and they're doing enough to get it there, but then they're having problems down the road. And I really don't want to kind of push that out. So that's a big reason why I kind of provide things that I feel extremely comfortable on that I can offer you. And I'm going to bring some more. And on top of that, I'm going to reach out and get some contributors or maybe some some people that can throw a recording in and, and tell you some of the things that they're doing. Now, there are specific things that you guys want to hear on this podcast. I'm more than happy to hear from you. You can throw it. Uh, seriously, you can do a quick recording. Hey, Brian, I got this. You know what? I'll tell you if I don't do it, I'll tell you why. You know, I will tell you exactly. Maybe it's quality of the audio wasn't good, or maybe I didn't understand what you were saying and get maybe whatever. Um, but if it's something, I will promise you this: if it's something on a let's just call it a certain stance that that I bring out, let's say private property rights when it comes to this guy's property and he's hunting and all that, and you come out and say, "Hey, look, what those law enforcement officers are doing, I believe in it and ready." I'm not going to stifle you. I'm going to put your stuff on there. I want people to discuss these topics. Anything that we bring on, I want us to discuss about. It. I want opposing arguments. I want to understand why you feel that way. I mean, maybe we'll come to middle ground. Maybe we'll just say, you know what? I'll agree to disagree, but that's okay too. But I would love to hear more from you guys in that aspect. Again, I really appreciate all the wonderful ratings that we've gotten on Apple Podcasts. Uh, that thing is just doing really well. But I would love to hear your comments too. Um, not just, hey, great show, all that kind of stuff. There's something you want to add in. And I'm going to say it again. If you guys want to be on the show, I don't care if you're an influencer. I don't care if you're just, you know, regular Joe, regular Jane out there. And you know what? Everyone has a story. Everyone has an amazing experience. Everyone has something to share. And I would love to share it here on this platform here. We've had some amazing people 
on this show. And you could be one of those amazing people that can contribute here and get this audience and help other people to connect, get them outside, get them wheeling, get them hunting, get them fishing, get them interacted with other people. I don't, you know, one of the big things that hunting and getting back into that has helped me, has helped me get out of a shell that I kind of was in. Um, even though I was doing all these activities with off-roading and everything else, I just did not feel completely whole until I got back in hunting. And I'm just telling you, Every day I'm at work, I'm like, man, I'd just love to be outside. Man, I would love to be scouting. Man, I would love to be doing this and everything. You know, I, I'm being that sincerely. I'm not just saying that for the show's benefit. I'm being honest. And that's one of the big reasons I developed the show, too, is I want to get more of you involved. Let you guys also know you're not the only one that's kind of been in that spot where, dude, what the hell am I doing? You know, I mean, hopefully this show becomes an outlet. Hopefully the show becomes something to where you get good, solid information. Hopefully this is where you can feel comfortable to share your opinion and no one's going to come back at you and, and be nasty. It's a place of, of where you can be someone else across a different side of a table and we can have a no kidding dialogue and debate on something. And we're bringing out viewpoints and allowing the audience to digest and learn and formulate their own opinions on some of these things. Okay. Again, really thank you so much for your support. I really do. I know there was a little bit of a lapse there last couple of weeks. It's been so busy on my end and just kind of like wrapping around what the future of this show was going to be because, again, it's just the conflicts uh, with, with schedules and stuff. It's really hard to keep, at least for me and for the things that we're doing here, to keep the show host. Ooh, one thing I totally forgot. Hey, you guys, uh, again, we I haven't I haven't got up to a caller five yet. If you are still interested or you're still like, oh, man, dude, I, I don't think I would win. Hey, check it out. I haven't had five callers yet. Uh, you, <laughs> you might want to call in pretty soon. But if you are interested in winning the solo Vortex Solo Monocular 10 by 25 and its model S105, be caller number five on the Route 16 Grind Hotline. Phone numbers in the show notes, and I'll probably say it a couple times throughout the show as well. Yeah, give it a call. You might be the guy or gal that is the big winner here. I can only ship to the lower 48. Uh, if you are an FPO, AP, all that kind of stuff like that, AE, uh, if it's if I'm mailing it to a lower 48 address, I have zero problem uh, sending it to that address. Give me that address. If you're that number, that caller, uh, no problem. I would love for someone to win this. It's some cool thing, cool thing we got from Vortex. And you know what? I don't want to sit on my desk. I want it to be in your hands, and you're able to use it for your scouting opportunities as we go into the deer season. All right? Thank you all for joining us. Remember, if you have an idea or maybe you would like to contribute to one of our segments, all you have to do, all you got to do is go to route16.com and select contact and let us know that idea. That's R-O-O-T-O-N-E-S-I-X.com and select contact. Thanks for listening to the Route 16 Grind. We want to thank our amazing sponsors, Warren Industries, Tuffy Security Products, Sea State Coffee, and Route 16 Off-Road for their support. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and more. Just look for Route 16. That's R-O-O-T-O-N-E-S-I-X. Or just go to Route16.com. Until next week, plan smart, be safe, and as always, be prepared. Better not be any cameras in my backyard.